Thank you. It's good to be with you. I think last time I was here on Thanksgiving weekend, and now I'm here on New Year's weekend. I look forward to being with you for Arbor Day and Cinco de Mayo, um, whenever those are. I think I know when Cinco de Mayo is, if my Spanish is holding up. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, centering on verse 5. And uh, I don't know if a cliffhanger, Aaron, if it means I, I need to, you know, be able to preach more succinctly uh, and put it all in one week or, uh, or whatever. But I purposefully wanted to spend some time on this verse and really meditate on these words, on these commands, these four <coughs> commands given by Paul to Timothy, a young pastor, young man in the ministry, serious about his faith, um, overcoming problems of being human and frailty and difficulty and timidity, perhaps, all of those things that we ascribe to Timothy as well as his good qualities. Certainly those things shaped his ministry as they shape a lot of our ministries. This is a good time of year to be evaluating these things in ourselves. Um, I know that our elders are getting together on Friday for a half-day retreat to kind of look at the direction of the church and see where we've been over the last year. We've only been a church for a year, so unlike you, we can't look back at 200 plus years of history uh, we just have one, but uh, we want to do that. We want to evaluate. It's a good time personally to evaluate. The world sort of does this and um, this time of year and they eat black eyed peas, I think, is the way it goes to determine what their year is going to be. Is that a tradition up here in Maine? I don't think I've ever asked. When I was growing up in North Florida, that's what they do. And something about uh, however many you get is something. I don't know what it is, but there's all these secular traditions. It's interesting that this time of year in Christmas season, we have this kinship with the world. They start to look more like us for a brief period of time. They're singing songs about Jesus. They're putting symbols of his birth out on their lawns. They seemingly are celebrating the same things that we celebrate. And then right after Christmas, around the time of New Year's, right about Today, that all goes away. And a lot of Christians that I've talked to don't really like New Year's much as a holiday because what are we celebrating? We're not celebrating the birth of Christ. It's not Thanksgiving where we're celebrating uh, and being thankful to Christ for all that he's done for us. It's certainly not Easter or any of the other uh, holidays that we as Christians revere. Uh, no, it's, it's a holiday to celebrate that time is passing. Which, as someone who just borrowed a pair of my wife's reading glasses and found out all of a sudden that, wow, I can see with those, uh, whatever I'm reading in bed. Um, not something most of us are very excited about celebrating, right? Just the passing of time. But what it becomes for us, I think, as Christians, is a wonderful time for us to evaluate where we are what we're doing, who we are in Christ. So let's do that uh, this morning with this verse. Last time I was here, we looked at the first part of this verse in verse 5. I want to read you 1 through 5. And I don't remember your custom here to stand or to seat. You do as God leads as I read this passage to you, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And then we'll be focusing in the latter part of verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort 
with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In the Holman Standard Bible, that first phrase is not always be sober-minded. It is always be clear-headed. And I hope that you are clear-headed as you look at your calling in the world, in this community, to your family, to this church, and to Christ himself. Always be sober-minded. We dealt with that one, I think, in full, to embrace sober-mindedness. If you're following along, I'll give you three others. And we'll alliterate, I, I grew up in a Baptist church, grew up as, I guess, a Baptist preacher, and so we like it when things start with the same letters. So the first one was embrace sober-mindedness. The second, we are to endure suffering. You say, boy, this guy gets more and more upbeat as he goes. He goes from sober-minded to suffering. It's not me, it's the Apostle Paul. You can take it up with him when you get there. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, you can take it up with him too. Paul knew about suffering. He knew more about suffering than most of us. He didn't shirk away from the difficulties caused by following Jesus. Neither did Peter or any of their contemporaries. And I like the way that Peter makes this connection. He says in 1 Peter 2.19, This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. And this suffering is almost a certainty. If you're God-minded, and this is becoming more obvious and more overt every day, if you're God-minded, then you will endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Suffering doesn't mean that you sprain your ankle while playing golf. It means hardship or persecution suffered while in the service of the gospel. I suppose if you sprain your ankle while playing golf, while sharing the gospel with people, and you sprain your ankle because you share the gospel with them and they hit you with a club, then it is suffering. How do I know this? How do I know that's what the Bible is speaking of? Because every time in Scripture this phrase is used, it is in an example of persecution. In Hebrews 10.32, says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. I can tell you from my own limited experience that I have rarely been persecuted for the gospel by those outside of a religious setting. Most of the persecution I've experienced was inside a church building, some of it coming from well-intentioned Christians, some coming from pretenders, church members, religious people who didn't know Christ. I'm reminded that Jesus suffered the same thing. And then there are sufferings caused by faithfulness, where people are less directly involved, the loss of a job, the loss of Income, loss of home, loss of security, loss of health, like in the case of David Brainerd and many, many others. In Mark 10, 29 through 30, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in this age to come, eternal life. So we endure suffering, which means that we give cheerfully, sacrificially, faithfully. 
And we serve cheerfully, sacrificially, and faithfully. And we go the same way. Cheerfully, sacrificially, and faithfully. Wherever God calls us to go. And it will cost us. And it will hurt. I think we probably ought to tell people this at the beginning. Rather than putting such a rosy picture on the Christian life. Congratulations. You're now baptized. You're a believer. You're going to follow Jesus. Isn't it going to be great? It is going to be great. Because He is great. And He is the comfort and the solace that we cling to in the face of much suffering. Because that is part of the Christian life if we are obedient to the call. We will miss precious moments with grandchildren, perhaps. We'll get called out in the middle of the night. We won't be able to go on certain things or attend certain things in our families, perhaps, or miss things or miss time off or time to ourselves because people need us. Some will even be beheaded and die at the hands of the Islamic State as many did this year in other parts of the world. We endure suffering. We set our our sober minds on Christ and then endure suffering joyfully. And we can do this for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You remember those words? Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, for the sake of his body, that is the church. We won't be the first, we won't be the last, but we surely will endure suffering. So embrace sober-mindedness. Be clear-headed about who you are. Don't be distracted. Don't be confused. Don't let things push you away from the core things. We talked in Sunday school this morning about fighting complexity in our churches and fighting complexity in our lives. I think there's much to be said for that at this time of year, especially as you're cleaning out all of the Christmas stuff. How many of you have not yet taken down your Christmas tree? How many of you are going to leave it up all year? (laughs) A few. He's he's over there. Good. I think I mentioned to you last time I was here, maybe, that uh, I have a friend, Jan Kitchen, down in Georgia, where I pastored. And um, Jan and her husband, Doug, have a closet at the foot of their stairs. And every year they have a Christmas tree fully decorated on wheels that they pull out of that closet plug into the wall, and at the end of the season, they put it right back in. It is the most marvelous thing. (laughs) Uh, But it's a good time of the year as we're doing all of that in our homes. It's a good time to do that in our lives. Embrace sober-mindedness. Be clear-headed about who God has called us to be. Make no mistake, you live in a community where the great majority of people do not follow Jesus regardless of the songs that they sang over the last three or four weeks. You are different than them. You might have appeared to look like them or they appeared to look like you over the last few weeks. January makes it completely plain that you are not the same. Your whole motivation for living is different. The whole span of your life is different. In fact, the length of your life is different. You plan on being with Jesus for all of eternity. What they will suffer will be eternal death. Right? Never ending. Always going on. But we can't really call it life, can we? You're different than them. So be clear-headed about that. Understand who you are in Christ and what He has called you to do in Christ. And plan that part of that will be to endure suffering. 
The third one is no less important and is just is just as prominent in the calling. If we're called to be sober-minded, if we're called to endure suffering, we are also called to evangelize steadily. We talked about this a little bit this morning in Sunday school as well. How do we continually stay in a place where we are going out the door and we're ready to share the gospel with people? Well, it takes the encouragement of the body of Christ around us. It takes you asking each other these questions and praying, as you did a moment ago, toward that end and evaluating these things and saying, how did I do on this in the last year, or the last month, or the last week? And I need to get back out there. It involves being making these things a priority. Evangelize steadily. Some of us believe that evangelism is a spiritual gift only given to a few. I've even read the statistic, have no idea where they came up with this, that only 10% of Christians have the gift of evangelism. I think the truth is, is that only 10% of Christians want to evangelize. Where do we get the idea that evangelism or sharing the gospel is only for a few? Three times the prefix evangel is used in the New Testament, only three times. Once in Acts 21.8, where it refers to Philip the evangelist. It was a role that he played, certainly. He had a reputation for being faithful in this area. But a lot of other people in the book of Acts do evangelism and share the gospel. They are not called Paul the evangelist or Stephen the evangelist or Peter the evangelist. Most likely, we differentiate Philip there so that we don't get him confused with Philip the apostle. Another time, Paul uses it in Ephesians 4.11, speaking of roles in the church, which we sometimes call the apest. A-P-E-S-T. Not that any of these people are pests. It just helps us to remember it. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. All of these roles given to the church as a gift, but the role itself not a spiritual gift. These given to the church to equip the saints of the, for the work of ministry. In other words, that those who are evangelists... Their role is not just to share the gospel, but to train the church and remind the church and encourage the church and motivate the church to together share the gospel. Last, the third time it's used is here when Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And in this case, if there's any character in the New Testament that we would think would be excused from evangelism, it would be Timothy. Here's a guy who's young. He's somewhat timid. Otherwise, Paul would not have had to tell him that God did not give him a spirit of fear. He had a weak stomach. Paul told him to take a little wine for your stomach. And whose father was not even a Christian. So he didn't have a good role model growing up, at least not in his dad, in his mother and grandmother, perhaps better so. But Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. Evangelize steadily. And it is work. It is work, isn't it? We get up, we go out, we meet people, we meet messy Lost people who don't have it all put together like we do. Right? And we share the gospel and we get rejected most of the time. And we pray and we do it again and again and again. And people respond to the Spirit of God and come to Christ even in the hard, cold gospel fields of Maine. And we do it again. And it is work. And it's for all of us. Go into all the world and make disciples, Jesus said. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You will be my witnesses, we read in Acts chapter 1. Do the work. This is the work and labor of the church, not to cut the grass out here, 
Not to have committee meetings, though I know we all love them. Not even make fried chicken or barbecue, and I love fried chicken and barbecue at church socials. But all of that is the trellis stuff, providing support so we can do the real work, the vine stuff, the life-changing work of evangelism and discipleship in the community to which God has called you. The work of sharing the gospel and training people up in it to present them mature in Christ. Paul says to Timothy, do the work. Share the gospel. And we might add, people need the gospel, not part of the gospel, not poor substitutes for the gospel. Teach the Bible, teach the whole Bible, not just part of the Bible or poor substitutes for the Bible. I was in another church a building, I suppose I should say. I was in a church building. My youngest son was doing a performance, a marvelously gospel-centered performance put on by the YMCA. I guess we shouldn't be surprised at that. They are the Young Men's Christian Association. But this was a marvelous performance telling the Christmas story. There was a little bit of, um, little bit of funny business regarding talking camels that I don't think shows up in the, in the uh, gospel account. But um, but it was a marvelous retelling of the gospel. It was in this performance. It was held at a local church. Uh, it seemed appropriate. I was in their church library. I took a picture, have it on my phone, of their theology section of their library, which included, as I told the adults in Sunday school this morning, included Deepak Chopra and others, Sophie Burnham on angels, all of these things that should not show up in a church library and shouldn't probably show up anywhere. We don't need to teach people poor substitutes for the Bible. Self-help, therapeutic deism, as you'll read about in this book, that those things are not good. And the church, a lot of times, has given up the Bible in exchange for those things. It's not a good exchange. Tell the whole gospel, not just the cross, not just that Jesus died on the cross for you, but that you were created for the glory of God and sin separated us from God because of Adam's fall. And then tell them of Christ on the cross and the story of redemption and then tell them of the consummation to come. The whole fullness of the Gospel, the fullness of the Bible. This is what people need when we share the Gospel, when we are evangelists. If we do not talk of sin and death and hell and judgment, what do they care that Christ died for them? But as Ray Comfort says, if we tell them the size and scope and seriousness of the problem, they will beg us for a solution. If we preach hell, they will beg us to preach Christ. When you preach or teach, bring it back to the Gospel. The Gospel is found in every page of the biblical text. And we can always bring it back to the truth on the big picture of the Gospel. When you serve, bring the Gospel. As you serve in the community, bring the Gospel. Bring it into your service. Explain to people the reason why you're serving and why you're even here and why you even care that Christ cared first for you and therefore you care for them. As you live, bring the gospel. Bring the gospel into your conversation with those in your community. Dads, this is why it's important that the gospel be the center of your relationship with your children, in their education, in their discipline, in your recreation. That you bring the gospel into those conversations. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In the new year, in your conversations, in your homes, in your communities, in your workplaces, bring the gospel. 
And if your child looks at you and says, Dad, I don't want that stuff. Train them up in the fear and admiration of the Lord, admonition of the Lord and admiration of the Lord so that they will want that stuff. And if you go to work and you share the gospel, be wise, of course, there. But if in sharing the gospel, they let you go. Praise God. Wouldn't it be great to hear more stories of people who were fired for sharing the gospel at work? The truth is most of us are not in danger of that happening to us at all. Because our fear would preclude us from ever even thinking about doing that. What a marvelous thing it would be if your neighbor, who you don't talk to that much anyway, refused to speak to you ever again because you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And they rejected you and put up a big privacy fence on that side of the lawn. I don't think that happens very often, do you? What a marvelous thing for you to come in here and share a testimony that that happened to you. What a wonderful testimony that would be. What a bold statement of faith that would be. It's not what we're hoping for. What we're hoping is that in each case they would respond gloriously to by the Holy Spirit and come to Christ. But what a marvelous thing it would still be even if you were rejected in the name of Christ. That's that enduring suffering we were so keen on just a moment ago. And most of us are too afraid to ever even come close to experiencing that and to know Christ through our suffering as we know Christ in His suffering. We are to live by faith. We're to be bold in the regular, constant, consistent proclamation of the Gospel. Now, as we go, as we look at that, let's look at one more. Embrace sober-mindedness, endure suffering, evangelize steadily. The last one, in strong. In strong. Fulfill your ministry. No, I don't have some premonition that something's going to happen to you, that you're going to get hit by a bus as you go out of here today. No, and I hope that's not the case. But end strong. End the year strong. There's still much of the day left today. End the year strong. But plan to end your life strong and start today. Fulfill your ministry. Love the Lord with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul. A friend of mine down in South Carolina, Sonny Holmes, he was a pastor in a church where I was the youth pastor, my first ministry job, my first ministry position in a church, recently wrote a book that came out uh, last year. It was called Finish, Period. Not Finish Strong, Finish, Period. The point of the book is that much has been said uh, about finishing well in ministry. He's saying not many, uh, that a lot of them are not even finishing at all. They're washing out of the ministry due to moral failure, or church conflict, or even suicide, he says, put your sights on finishing, period. What will it take for you to fulfill your ministry? If we safeguard our lives in such a way that we can continue to do the things that God has called us to do, we can know the joy of not only finishing, but finishing with a bang. Many of you have not yet even started you may not even know the things that God has called you to do in this season. You listen to me talk about ministry and you say, I'm not in the ministry. This is a sermon maybe he should be giving at a pastor's conference or something. But you are. If you're in Christ, you are in ministry. Yours probably looks different than mine or looks different than your pastor's. 
But you have a ministry, more than one, in fact. If you're a husband, you are to serve your wife and present her blameless without blemish. If you have children or grandchildren, you are to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If you're part of the kingdom of God, you are to share the good news of the kingdom and be faithful in giving and going and sharing the gospel. If you're a citizen of this country, you have a responsibility to serve your community with the love of Christ. So you've been called to ministry. Many of us don't even realize that. And so how can we fulfill it if we don't realize that that's true? So I would say to you that you need to see the proclamation that God has given you. The place that God has put you. The people that God has placed in your life. The power that God has given you to do these things. You're to be faithful to do all that God has called you to do right through to the end. To fulfill your ministry. It doesn't look like mine. I work with new churches, church planting. And invariably, every single time that I talk, go somewhere and talk about church planting, and it happened in Sunday school this morning, because that's what your pastor invited me to speak on this morning in Sunday school. Every time I talk about church planting, someone asks the question, what about church revitalization? And we need to be revitalizing churches as well as starting new ones. But you see, the ministry that God has called me to do is the ministry of church planting. Everything outside of my pastoral duties that I have at Anchor Church where I'm the pastor is focused on church planting. But see, we need church revitalization, which means someone other than me is called to do it. That's all it means. There's six billion people in the world. Lots of millions of them are Christians. Someone other than me is called to focus on church revitalization right now in this season of their lives. I've done church revitalization, but maybe God's calling you to that role. He certainly has called others. We're grateful for them. Your ministry doesn't look like mine. There are certain things that God has told all of us to do in His Word. And evangelism is one of them. But He also calls us to specific roles, to specific people, specific times, specific ways. The people that you're sharing the Gospel with, I don't even know. I've never even met. Because the only thing I do when I come to Southwest Harbor is come to this church building. Pretty much. When I was here back in March, whenever it was, Caroline and I had coffee at one of the coffee shops. That's it. That's my only exposure to this community, really. And so the people that God has called you to share the gospel with are very different than the people God has called me to share the gospel with because I'm guessing you don't get to Booth Bay Harbor very often. Fulfill your ministry. End well. Be faithful straight through and step it up as you go. As you grow in knowledge and faith, do more. Be better. Be able to say like Paul said in this passage, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Search God's Word with a mind on Him, knowing what He requires of His people. Let Him fill your heart, your soul, your mind with joy in Him and undaunted by the suffering that you will no doubt experience Boldly proclaim the gospel and keep doing it. Fulfill it. Let Run with endurance the race set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He was sober-minded, centered on the Father's glory, endured suffering, brought the good news of the gospel, was the good news of the gospel, and fulfilled all the ministry that God gave him to do on this earth. Now, I, I know a lot of exciting young people who are planting churches. But let me just tell you very quickly about a couple of old people that are planting churches. I might have mentioned this the last time I was here. 
but my friend Dave Pouchot, who went to be with Jesus a couple of years ago, uh, planted a couple of churches in his lifetime. The last one he planted at the age of 67. 67. Uh, and then uh, eight years into it, uh, developed cancer and went to be with Jesus fairly quickly. And it's been a couple of years since he has passed. Um, but he and his wife, faithful in that ministry, moved back to Maine at 67 to plant another church. Uh, my friend uh, Jim Gunning helped us to get started the church in Bucksport. And um, they called a pastor. He's now working alongside that pastor as a faithful part of that congregation. Jim, when he started that, was 61 years old. If you ever meet him, don't tell him I told you how old he is. Um, but he was 61 years old when he started working on that work. Uh, and really leading out in that effort in Bucksport to get a gospel preaching church established there, which is now going very well and reaching people. Um, so those of you that are older, this thought of fulfilling your ministry includes those other things. Expect some suffering. Be clear-headed about it. Uh, don't make any excuses and share the gospel. If you've never been an evangelist, this is a great time to start. 2018 is a a great year to share the gospel with the people who are in your life. And you have everything that you need for life and godliness in the Word of God and by the power of His Spirit. Now, there are some who don't want to hear the truth, but as for you, that's the phrase that kind of kicked off this verse and stands out to me. As for you, you are different than all of those that sang away in a manger. And we three kings of Orient are, but they weren't. Three kings. You're different than them. And it may not have been clear over the last month. It should be very clear in the next month. You will be the only people talking about Jesus. You will be the only people singing about Jesus. No one else on Mount Desert Island is going to sing about Jesus in the month of January except those who are called of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus and know Him forever. Don't you think? And this last month, lots of people were singing about Jesus and they didn't mean it. And it felt really fuzzy and warm for all of us Christians because everybody was celebrating Christmas. And isn't it great? And then all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from under us and we see more clearly you're different. You're not the same as them. As for you, be faithful in the things that God has called you to do. Hear his word and obey it. Do these things. And for those who love His appearing, who long for it, who live for it, there's laid up for you the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to you on that day. Now, as we close, let me read to you just a couple of other phrases that I think go along with this passage. First Chronicles 22, King David tells his leaders, Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Whatever else you're making time for, whether it's eating a special New Year's meal or eating all the leftovers from the Christmas meal or getting rid of all the chocolate before the kids find it because now you're going to lose weight in January. The whole family is going to do this, right? Uh, putting away the Christmas ornaments, taking down the tree, whatever else you're doing today or whenever this week, take some time to do what David told his leaders to do. Set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. What is that going to look like? Talk with your family. Talk with your spouse about what is it going to look like this year to seek the Lord your God. How are you going to be different than those around you? Paul told the Colossians to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died 
And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Peter wrote, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Sober-minded, willing to suffer, not seeking it out, but willing to suffer if that's what's required. Doing the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. By the grace of God, may those who come behind us and those who surround us and the one who will judge us find us faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this very loaded passage of Scripture. I always admired Charles Spurgeon and his preaching and writing that he could pull so much out of so few words. And the truth is, it's because there is so much there. We could preach for weeks just on enduring suffering or just on doing the work of an evangelist. Holy Spirit, You inspired the Apostle Paul to write all of these things together in quick succession, I think for a reason. I think because evangelism is so much a part of our work in the communities we live in where so many are lost without you. Where we haven't completely fulfilled the work if we haven't shared the Gospel, regardless of whatever else we've done. Where we can count on enduring suffering. And we who know so little of it probably suffer for our lack of suffering. That those who experience more of it become more mature in their faith, lean more heavily on your word, trust you more in prayer, delight in your suffering on the cross all the more and know a kinship with you that we maybe are only beginning to understand as we suffer. So, God, all of these things go together, certainly being clear-minded, sober-minded about our faith and about who we are, not thinking that we're one and the same as those outside, those around us. God, as for us, we're different. We are the people of God. These are the people of God in this, your community. And I pray that they would raise you up, that you might be lifted up, that men and women and children would bow before You. That they would taste and see that God is good. That they would delight in You. And You would be their great delight. Because of these. Because these are faithful. Your people. That they would gladly, joyfully, prayerfully share the Gospel and fulfill the work that You've called them to do in this community. We talked this morning in Sunday school, about whether or not that might include helping to start some churches other places. And I pray that it would. But even in that, God, we don't want them to be active in other places and not do that work here. The truth is, is that this church needs to be planted in many storefronts and coffee shops and workplaces and homes all over this community. The truth of the gospel needs to be planted into many, many hearts here. And so there is great pioneering work yet to be done here. And in a new year, a new calendar, a fresh start, what better time? Today, the day of salvation, we hope for many. And so, God, we pray to that end. I pray that you would empower them and lift them up and encourage them by your spirit to be those kind of people set apart, holy, trusting in and delighting in the things of God. For your glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen.